3: the Gravity Leadership podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds
1: everything together. This is the Gravity Leadership podcast. Welcome. <sighs> <laughs> this is good try. Good try being super excited and I, going, going for it. I just don't have it, man. I don't yeah. I i I I tried to throw it at like a ten and I'm feeling mm-hmm. like more of like a five point eight.
3: Yeah. It's it's nine AM and you usually don't get up till eleven. So <laughs> this is this is new for you.
1: Yeah, when when you have two jobs and you work for yourself and you're planning at church, you roll out of bed around eleven, mm-hmm. get some coffee, play Read uh, the news, play a play. mobile phone game until three PM
3: <laughs> Then you uh, check social media.
1: Well oh, you're yeah. you're doing social media and playing a mobile oh, phone okay. game. This you have kind two devices all, in front of you. It's always happening. Then it's Judge Judy uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Uh, hopefully, you can find a few episodes. Uh, I like to find uh, reruns of Ricky Lake. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, you got to...
3: Get the kids to bed.
1: Well, then you got to talk to your wife while she makes dinner.
3: <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> no, it's hard out there. <laughs> no, so... It, <laughs> it's hard out there for Joking. a self-employed. Joking.
1: No, I have just a little... My son was sick yesterday. Yeah. And then he's sick today, and he's home today. Yeah,
3: yeah. It, it, it affects the rhythms, for life, sure. Life, man. Yep. Life. Anyway, life. this... this
1: and <clears throat> this is the Gravity Leadership Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host. Please don't turn it off. Uh, I'm your host. Uh, t- hey, today we uh, it's good to be with you. We were uh, we're actually recording another podcast after this, and we had some time. And Ben and I were just chatting uh, about some things that are happening. Uh, you mentioned social media, some things that are happening on social media, and I thought, yeah, maybe we could just chat about this.
3: Yeah, social media, man. I have a lot of thoughts about social media. Um, that we we don't need to get into that's not the point of this uh podcast but uh but something i noticed on social media the other day uh matt you posted a couple things that um you know as social media is wont to do kind of blew up uh, people responded uh, in some uh, interesting, offended, and angry ways <laughs> to a couple of your posts. Uh, and that, that's, uh, incidentally, the, uh, the critique I have of social media. I think it shapes our discourse into those kinds of interactions. But yeah. the, uh, the thing we want to talk about today is uh, there's a couple posts that you, that you posted that um, uh, were revealing to me uh, that I thought we could talk about because um, they relate directly to some of the things that we train people in in our in our Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts. Um, there's these group coaching uh, cohorts. It's kind of the bread and butter of what we do. Um, all the stuff we talk about, the new way of leading that we talk about on this podcast, all of that gets worked out in actual people's lives in these coaching cohorts. And so there's always a link to those in the show notes if you're interested in those. But one of the main things that we do there is train people into a new posture for leadership that takes it out of the realm of being an expert who tells people what to do into being a uh, learner, a follower of Jesus, who's opening space for others to come alongside. Yeah. And follow with. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of an overall way of saying it. And um, some of the responses to your It's social rare, media... though.
1: That posture is rare. Oh, it's so rare.
3: <laughs> it's so rare. It's exhaustingly rare, if that's a thing that I can. Yeah. So say. I threw
1: up I threw up this just confession. I don't do this on Facebook very much. I usually go to Facebook to look at time hop photos, like photos from yesteryear.
3: Uh, yeah. I kind of like those. I'm like, I... oh,
1: look at
2: my kids. Yeah. They're so little. I
1: watch this video and then I show Deacon, <laughs> you know, him dancing to. Uh, uh, you know, um, you know, music, Radiohead, when he was, you yeah. know, seven months old or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I, I use it for that, and I also use it to, um, let's work at all my news. <laughs> That's right, at, at all my news. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I just use it for basically photos and um, to to stalk people I went to high school with. And uh, I just decided, uh, I don't know what prompted me. I just put out a confession, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the confession was basically, I I've realized in the last probably been 15 years, but this is a realization that opens itself up to you slowly, and there's layers to it, so probably in the last 15 years I've been reckoning with this, that um, for many years I told myself I'm not a racist, uh, because I'm not a Nazi, you know? Right, I'm not not actively hating people of color. I don't use the N-word, I don't laugh at uh, Indian jokes, you know what I mean? Like, Uh I'm, I'm such an enlightened progressive person, right? Right. Um uh, but then I, I've just realized in the last fifteen years that I, I am a racist. And so I just put this confession on Facebook. Yeah. I'm a racist. I'm reckoning with that. And uh Yeah. It's just basically a confession. Yeah. And then and then uh the same day these weren't I didn't plan this. But my wife was like, this Hey, been something in the water. I don't know. My well my <laughs> wife was like, Hey, Deacon, my ten-year-old, wants to go uh he wants to dress up as the Black Panther for Halloween. Now Black Panther was The first Marvel movie I took my son to see in the theater. Hmm. He's been begging me to see all of them. Right. And, uh, you know, I felt like the uh, Black Panther was a good cultural moment uh, to introduce him to Marvel movies and for us to have a conversation about why it's a great film on its own right, but then why it's an important film culturally, um, in particular for African Americans. So he wants to dress up as the Black Panther for Halloween, and I just you know i, I want to be sensitive to cultural scripts and taboos that right. i wouldn't just know about so i just hey i got i need some help my 10 year old wants to dress up as a black panther uh, would this cause offense to you if uh, or like, anyone especially else
3: especially people of color or yeah. like you know african americans like help me understand if this is if i'm not seeing something about how this would be yeah cultural appropriation or something like that right? yes. yeah. yeah so
1: i threw up this confession and a question yeah. um and uh then the next day i listed five observations from the 100 plus comments i got on both of those threads hmm. just observations about how uh quickly how people of color really deeply appreciate include um, specifically african americans black sisters and brothers really appreciate when white people talk about racism like they yeah. you know yeah um and two, like how white people, in particular white Christians, really have a hard time with it. Like there's just this yeah. all kinds a of a hard stuff.
3: time talking about it, right? Yeah. yeah you're yeah. saying like even bringing it up. Like the thing I the thing I noticed was that um there were people who were offended and angry that you even brought up the question of whether or not your son should uh, dress up as Black Panther for Halloween. They they were like, why are we even asking this question?
1: It's ridiculous it, it's that ridiculous. you should even have to ask that question. Right,
3: right, right. Which is uh, which is uh, the thing I noticed was that was a very stark contrast from the people of color who responded, who were by and large, uh, as far as the comments I saw, I don't I don't think I saw the whole thing, but uh, deeply appreciative that you asked the question, and and by and large, the ones that I saw were like, I don't think it'd be a problem, but thank you for asking. Yeah, I appreciate. That you've thought to ask, that you thought to, you know, think like maybe there would be something that I'm not seeing, and please help me see something that I can't see or learn something I don't know.
1: Well, I don't come by that honestly, because I, like many of us, just trust that what I see and how I perceive is sort of this, you know, given. It's reality. it's self evident reality. I'm looking at reality in a self-evidential way. Mm-hmm. And so sh- like, and you would also share my assumptions. And my frames. Yeah. And my of courses and obviously's. Yeah. Right?
3: And if you don't then you're, you're wrong. You're you're wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Um
3: Or, you know, even more than wrong. Like there's there's anger in you're it. You're right? There's offences. Yeah. There, there's offense in it. Because there's some sort of challenge to the way that I'm seeing the world in, inherent in your question. And
1: that's the interesting thing, is I'm I'm trying to like I'm as I get older, I'm trying to cause less offense. And in trying to cause less offense and maybe owning the way I have offended, I'm offending other people.
3: Different people. New people (laughs) Yeah, new people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, because confessing you're uh, racist, I I found that one interesting. Because, you know, don't hear what Matt isn't saying. He has not become a Nazi or anything like that. Well, so, yeah, let me
1: say it this way. Yeah. Um, And I didn't, you know, you can't say everything everything in a Facebook post, but saying that I am a racist doesn't mean I'm also not an anti-racist. Right. I think right. the only way to become a person who can say I am a racist is to be anti-racist. Right. Like, you have to begin to notice and listen and uh, and reckon with the racial history, the racialized history of America, mm-hmm. in particular Western culture. It, goes, yeah. it predates America. Yeah. And then you have to like become like virulently. I mean, as a Christian, I'm virulently against the uh, uh, the dehumanizing yes uh, effect and yes. injustice of racism, right? But then, like, you have to be anti racist in order to reckon with the fact that you are a racist.
3: Yeah, yeah. In in the predominant imagination. I think the two options are either I am not a racist, which means I'm against this and this shouldn't happen, or I am a racist, which means I think white people should be in charge. Right? When, when in yeah. actuality, the only way to actually reckon with the reality of it is to embrace basically uh, both your own... Basically to embrace like, oh, I think this is terrible and it should stop, and it lives in me, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to actually reckon with it stopping until I can see how it operates in my own life, in ways that I heretofore haven't seen.
1: Yeah, so what what we wanted to talk about today was the kind of, uh, the way of engaging the world, the posture of, like, wh- like, how does being a person with power, and in Western culture, particularly American Western culture, uh, if you're a white man, you have... Tons of cultural cachet, tons of cultural power. Even if you're poor, even if you're not an elected official, yeah. Even if you had a hard time growing up, even if you had a hard time growing up. I mean, I came from a single parent household. We were dirt poor. Uh, I was I was raised Roman Catholic and got the derisive ire from my Baptist friends. You know, I was picked on as a kid. Like I was bullied. right? Right. Right. I ran away from school at one point. I still grew up with white privilege. Right. <laughs> like, right. none of that diminishes the systemic cultural power that I carry just from being a white man. Right. Right? So we noticed there, there's there's ways that forms and shapes us to engage in the world as persons.
3: Right. Right. So we, we just learn, and we come by it honestly, but we just learn that this is how you get things done. This is how uh, people respond to you um, when you when you do this thing or that thing. And by and large, the the script for white men uh, has been that you are in charge, and you can expect uh, that other people will um, s- will have to defer to the way that you see the world. Yes, and your uh, scripts about what leadership looks like. Other other people will adapt and uh, to to your perspective because you're you're seeing things like they are.
1: Yes, and so one of the things I'm realizing as a white dude is that. Uh, people of color, minorities, uh, women, right? People on the outside of sort of the hegemony of white, male kind of leadership or power in our culture. Mm-hmm. They have to develop cultural tools and yeah. conceptual tools that enable them to listen, yeah, to defer. Yep. To adapt yep. to um, not center themselves because they're not centered. Other people are centering right. like you and I are centering ourselves. And so they have to figure out how to honor and defer and submit and listen as a way of life, as a survival. Yeah tactic.
3: their life and and literally for uh, for women and uh, and people of color, literally their life depends on them learning to do those things.
1: Yes. And so they have these tools that enable them to, like, they develop empathy because empathy is a survival mechanism. Mm. If I'm not able to connect with the man who, or or the dude who's in charge and figure out how he's feeling and, and what's going on with him, I can be in danger.
0: Yes. Danger. Yeah. And
1: here's the... Det- uh, so God bless them, right? Yes. God bless that survival yes. technique. But here's the detriment to you and I. We don't have to do that. Right. There's nothing necessary... Uh, culturally, our life, our life doesn't depend on, it. generally speaking, our life doesn't depend on having to, uh, listen, adapt, defer, assuage, learn, manage, you know, like all this yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah. so we're, at, I, I think we're at a deficiency culturally. We don't know how right. to listen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we just assert that's wrong.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's how we've learned how to deal with, uh, you know, problems. Right, rather than help me help me understand more about what you're seeing or why this upsets you, or so some of those some of those uh, you're right we we are at a deficiency. Um, I mean, and this comes back to what we're talking about with our with our Gravity Leadership Academy cohorts. Like this is why one of our major projects has been like how do we actually train people into this. Because this isn't just necessary because of the Me Too movement, or right. it's not just necessary because you know people are waking up to systemic injustice and white privilege and all this kind of stuff. It's not necessary just because there's something happening in culture. It's necessary because this is the way of leadership that Jesus shows us he, that that he abolishes these status games and these hierarchies yes. and people dominating one another, and he says, "No, you, you're it's." There's a mutuality yes. about my kingdom that I want you to learn, and white men are really bad at it because our life has not depended on learning
1: it. Well, we're also really bad at it because we benefit the most from it. Right. So the people in Jesus's day who benefited the most from the social hierarchy right. were the people who killed him Yes, because he was attempting to undo that. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it's the same today. Yeah. So, like you and I, uh, and you know, if if you're a white person listening and you want to identify with this, great. If uh, you have, uh, if this is causing conflict or trouble for you, feel free to email email us at mm-hmm. ben at gravityleadership.com. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, uh, so so we have the most to lose. Yes. If this social hierarchy is undone. Yes. And there is a there is like a a, a fragility in that. Like we can't handle. We know how to be in the world if we if our if our authority and power and privilege and position is settled, mm-hmm. and everyone behaves underneath and around us. Right. If you know, like, uh, there's you'll see this in our culture. Like, there's this there's this culture of respectability that my black brothers and sisters talk about, where th- there's a way of behaving as a black person yeah. that's respectable. Right. I.e., they defer, they act white, they they check off all the cultural boxes that white culture says uh, lead to a life of of goodness and health and propriety, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. So, but that's based upon this this cultural script that we've foisted from the social hierarchy. Yeah. Right. And if that gets challenged, may, maybe the pinnacle of what it means to be a black person in America isn't to be respectable to white people. Right. <laughs> like
0: right. just
1: maybe yeah. right then you know uh uh white people lose their biscuit yeah and that that kind of happened on my and yeah. social media
3: yeah yeah and uh i mean like again we come by it honestly i i i doubt many of those people sort of realized what was happening in them when when that happened but i but i think you're right that there's uh i think fragility is a good word for it because there's almost this uh, edifice this this construction that we've built up that we it's like inherently we know it's 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 a house of cards and that if people don't kind of behave in the ways that are prescribed by it that it'll come tumbling down and we don't we don't know who we would be we don't know how we would be without it
1: yeah so this for me yeah so and I i'm I'm implicated in all this. So when I talk about white people, like I'm talking about myself, mm-hmm. right? so I'm not um we're not pointing fingers, yeah, right we're we're owning this right. Um, but this really came home to me ten years ago. I went on this trip called the Sankofa Journey. and um there's many different ways that this happens uh, around the world, but the way it happened for me is um, people from my college, my I was in seminary, and there were some undergraduates in college at the seminary. And we got on a bus and drove down to the south and visited a bunch of civil rights sites. You know, the uh, hotel in Memphis where Martin Luther King was shot, the Selma Bridge, et cetera, et cetera. We visited about six or seven sites over a week. And we paired up, so there was a, a, a black undergraduate student uh, that I was paired up with, and we We basically were roommates. We sat together on the bus. We got to know each other, et cetera, et cetera. And we would go to these different memorials, these different museums, and we would basically process out loud what we were seeing and how we were seeing it. Mm -hmm. And I remember, this is 10 years ago. I'm a grown man um, at the time. I remember repeatedly having my mind blown. Like, not only was... Um, winston seeing things I didn't see mm-hmm. but he was naming things that made me upset angry scared defen- yeah. oh defensive mm. like I wanted to re-explain what he was sharing to like make it more palatable and fair right I wanted I mean i i, I can remember exact words I said which were mm. basically like what about and don't forget and uh, let's make this equal, right? And yeah. and all of it, all of it, he helped me see was yeah. like this white fragility that's yeah. defensive. I, like, I can't be the only one wrong, right? Right. Somebody else has to be wrong with me. Otherwise, like I'm devastated.
3: Yeah, it's not fair. It's not we fair. Can't, we can't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I, and that I re-
1: changed my life. Like, it really changed yeah, my life.
3: Yeah, going through Going through those things rather than i mean the 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 gift there is that you didn't stay sort of rigidly in your whatabouts and you're not all white men, and you know what I mean like that yeah. that there was some some sort of softening that happened for you even even though in the moment you're you're narrating experiencing this defensiveness this uh, anger this uh fragility well honestly, it was it was, something that started to come undone
1: yeah honestly, it was these black brothers and sisters on this trip with me who they primarily weren't concerned about easing my anxiety.
3: <laughs> which is part of the script, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So
1: a respectable black person yeah. goes out of their bends over backwards to ease white anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and they didn't do it. Yeah. Which I'm so thankful for. Like, it honestly, saved my life. Yeah. Uh, I'm so thankful yeah. for it. Uh, but it also helped, you know, this is my story. You have a story too, Ben. Mm-hmm. Helped me craft an imagination for, it, it wasn't that, I necessarily wanted to be racist, it's that the way that I conceived of and thought of and entered the world left me no choice but to be racist.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there's no... <laughs> right. You can't escape it. No. Right. My, it's part that, of
1: my conceptual tools, my frames, my lenses. Yeah. Like I was, I was assured that all of the blind spots and prejudices and bias I had would remain untouched.
3: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm. I mean, that, there's there's a lot we could talk about there with in terms of like systemic uh, sin or social the way that the way that sin and uh, the way that sin gets embedded not just into individuals who have bad desires but into people just through the social environments we grow up in yeah. right right just the way that we see the world. Um, I remember my uh, my wife told me uh, the other day that uh, she saw a post I can't remember who it was from. Oh, you know what? I think it was from Brene Brown. Uh, so she does a lot of work with, you know, shame, that kind of thing. Never heard of it. <laughs> um, but she said, uh, if we're really going to deal with something like this, we're, if we're really going to deal with the racial issues in this country, uh, we, had, we need to be ready for a shame storm like we've never experienced. And I, that sort of named for me, I think, what, what we as white people experience when our racism is uncovered is shame. We feel ashamed of it, and that we cover it over with anger and all kinds of other defense mechanisms to try yeah. to avoid the shame of of being that those people these people who have who have done this
1: okay, so yes yeah, so why are we talking about this in this podcast well, right like wh- how does this relate to what we do at gravity mm-hmm. and and what leadership looks like yes. that looks like Jesus in in the 21st century
3: yeah well, mentioned it at the beginning, but um Again, one of, the, one of the basic postures that we need to learn, if we're going to lead like Jesus, it's one of the phrases we use, we want to learn how to lead like Jesus. So what did he do in the Gospels? What did he tell his disciples? What do we see the early church m- modeling and, and manifesting? Uh, and one of the main postures is, is leading as someone who is listening, leading as someone who is repenting, leading as someone who is uh, simply following Jesus, allowing Jesus to work in my life... And then opening space for others to get in on that or uh, or see that and make the choices they will. Um, that that posture, you said it earlier, it was really rare, and it is, but that posture is, uh, I feel like it, it it is the key to actually learning how to bear kingdom fruit in our lives.
1: A listening, repenting posture.
3: Yes. Yeah. Listening, repenting, being willing to uh, be wrong, and realizing that that's no threat to my leadership or my identity.
1: In fact, if I am wrong, realizing that I am wrong is the best thing that could happen to me today. Yeah. Not, not confirming that I've been right all along. Right. That's not the best thing that could happen to me today. Right.
3: The best thing that could happen to me today would be that I would realize I'm wrong, and I have a blessed opportunity to turn. To, lear- to learn. To learn and say, oh, I was wrong. Yeah. You know, I I, but now I see, I see more than I used to see. Yeah. And that in and of itself is leadership, especially if we're walking in a way that is vulnerable enough for others to see us learn and repent. Because what are we demonstrating? We're demonstrating how to be a disciple of Jesus. Yeah. That's leadership. Here, look at how I do it. Watch how I repent. Watch how I repent to you. Yeah. For the thing I said to you the other day. You know? Yeah.
1: Yes. And so just just FYI, I mean, I've said we said this before. Like, um, we're, we're always going to be pointing the finger at at, at ourselves and the mm-hmm. groups we identify with. Yeah. Right. So. Right. right so we're doing this. We did the series on men and women. Yeah. And and uh, there probably are a lot of ways that women need to repent, but sure. we're not women. No. Nope. And we're not going to point fingers at them. Right. In this church culture <laughs> right. as dudes and yeah. tell them how they need to get things straight. Yeah. Right. So there probably are issues in the black community, the Latino community, the indigenous community, sure. Of things that they have wrong or, you know, things they're they're doing that are unhelpful. Sure. But like let's clean our own house. Yeah. Like I want to get more cranked up about my stuff mm-hmm. than I do about their stuff. Yeah. And like Maybe, maybe then, like our our chance, our the permission that we give as we repent creates uh, freedom for other people to own their wrong too. Yeah, right.
3: And it's a it's a more solid place to stand. Like you lose, I I, I can tell you, and we don't have time to get into stories uh, anymore. We don't want to end the podcast here, but um, but I can tell you that uh, learning how to lead from this place it just internally feels like solid ground. Like I don't have anything to lose anymore. Like it doesn't feel as fragile, right? When I'm l- learning how to lead from this place because I'm just listening, I'm just learning, right? I've got I've got nothing to lose by being wrong.
1: Yeah. And I I found I can't do that unless I Deal with all my anxiety, my fear, my yeah. shame, yes. my guilt, like all those things in me that prevent me from listening, that mm-hmm. make me want to defend or justify myself yes. or what about or point the finger. All of that yeah. is the stuff Jesus came to save me from. Yeah. Right? And so if I'm busy justifying myself mm-hmm. or justifying white people or justifying my stance that I'm not a racist, right. like, hear me, Christians. Justification by faith means you no longer have to justify yourself. You are justified by Jesus. You, c- you don't have to defend yourself. I don't have to defend myself. I'm free to listen. I'm free mm-hmm. to listen even to somebody who's wrong. I'm free to listen to that, that wrongness as a spiritual discipline of learning to love people I disagree with. I'm free to listen to people who are right that I don't even know are right yet. I'm free. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm you're free. You're free. I'm free, and and then I I can face and name and own all these scripts, this shame, this guilt, this fear, this anxiety, this anger that yeah. wells up in me, yeah. and submit it to the cross.
3: Yeah. And that's why another kind of feature of the process uh, that we take people through in our cohorts is that those el- those places, anxiety, fear, anger, uh, even joy. Like those places are ground zero for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God in yes. your life. They're not things to fix. They're not <laughs> they're not like places to ignore. They're not like uh, things that you need to sort out. They're the place where God meets you. And so you you only discover kind of what God is doing in your life when you pay attention yeah. to your anxiety. Yep. Why am I anxious right now? Yep. Why am I angry right now? Why is this so upsetting to me? Why can't I why can't I get past this point in the conversation with this other person? As soon as we start to pay attention to those things, uh, we find that that's where God meets us because, one of our axioms, if you've been listening for a long time, you know this is one of our axioms, that um, God meets us most fully right where we really are, not where we should be, not where we wish we were, uh, not where we want to be, but right where we really are.
1: Ben, I know why I'm so angry.
3: Oh, did you figure it out?
1: Yeah, I (laughs) know. Because there's somebody who's wrong on the internet.
3: (laughs) That's one of my favorite little cartoons. (laughs)
1: And yep. and I have two strategies to fix that. Uh-huh. One is to make sure they know how wrong they are. Yep. And then if they won't listen, uh-huh. to stop getting on the internet uh-huh. because the internet is the problem, not me.
3: Yes, yeah. Good, well, I'm glad we sorted that out.
1: <laughs> hey, uh, everybody, this is why we train leaders the way we do. Uh, we train people not just in privileged positions of authority and cultures, but people from all over, uh, men and women. We've said before, half the people in our cohorts are are women, Uh, we train uh, people of color, we train uh, white dudes, we train all kinds of people to inhabit spaces full of grace and truth, being present to themselves and God and others, not reactive, but responsive to the needs of the kingdom right before them. I need that training in my life, the cohorts we lead people through in gravity, I'm in one locally myself, I need to continually train on how to do that. If that sounds interesting to you, reach out to us, look in the mm-hmm. sh- in the show notes. We'll have a link to that yep. uh, and we're just going to continue to talk about what we're learning yep. on this that's, podcast.
3: That's what the podcast is and and honestly, that's what our our whole training developed out of hey let's let's talk about what we're learning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's write it down
1: yeah, and yep. so hopefully your you hear hearts like um even as we rail against these things, we're complicit in them. Yeah, and we rail about them because the learning is so important and vital for us, and also so painful. Mm. And so there's a there's a groaning and a yearning and a longing wrapped up in the prophetic holding forth of where we need to go. That yep. Ben and I and and Ben Hartman are all on this journey, hopefully mm-hmm. with you, creating this community, gravity leadership together. Thanks for listening. Peace, we'll friends. Talk to you next time. Bye.
3: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you found it helpful, please let us know by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you review podcasts. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com to ask a question or suggest a topic for a future episode. And join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com/slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful in our work as local pastors and practitioners of discipleship and mission. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.